this is Dr. Nick Tiller, and you're listening to the Skeptic's Guide to Sports Science podcast. What follows is an audio recording of my column, published in Skeptical Inquirer, the magazine for science and reason. For more information, visit www.skepticalinquirer.org. As with all articles in this series, a full list of references and a link to the written piece can be found in the show notes. Episode 3. Can you breathe your way to better health? The science and pseudoscience of training your lungs. The respiratory system has long been a target of the commercial health and fitness industry. This is due to several reasons, the most recent being the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic that has focused attention on respiratory health and the means, proven or otherwise, to enhance it. We'll get to that shortly. Even before COVID-19, chronic respiratory disease, like chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, was the third leading cause of death worldwide. Respiratory health has also become an important public health issue due to climate change and worsening air quality. Another, more cynical explanation for the commercial interest in respiratory health is that respiratory physiology is a relatively complex area that's less well understood by the public. As such, its basic mechanisms are more easily misappropriated for monetary gain. The respiratory system comprises the upper and lower airways, the lungs, and the respiratory muscles that attach mostly to the ribs. This coordinated arrangement moves air from the atmosphere into the lungs, where oxygen can diffuse into the blood and be delivered to various tissues of the body. Because of its multiple components, the respiratory system presents a range of potential therapeutic targets for marketing claims. As with most interventions, those claims are a mix of the plausible and the absurd. Let's sort the science from the pseudoscience. The good. The good news is that there are several proven ways to improve respiratory function. Breathing interventions, which include deep breathing, pursed lips breathing, and diaphragmatic breathing, are considered broadly effective in the field of pulmonary rehabilitation for respiratory patients. For instance, pursed lips breathing is a technique involving deep inhalations, typically through the nose and long, slow exhalations through pursed or puckered lips. Using pursed lips breathing at rest has been shown to improve breathing efficiency in patients with obstructive lung disease, thereby relieving breathlessness and increasing oxygenation of the blood. In the same patients, pursed lip breathing might also increase exercise tolerance. One study even found that Deep, slow breathing resulted in changes to brain activity, which might explain purported decreases in arousal, anxiety and depression with this type of breath control. Inspiratory muscle training is another potential therapeutic intervention. As with every muscle in the body, the respiratory muscles, including the diaphragm and intercostals, can be strengthened through regular training. Respiratory training devices provide a resistance 
against which the inspiratory muscles must work to generate airflow. Over time, the resistance can be increased to evoke progressive adaptation. Respiratory muscle training is analogous to weight training for the limb muscles and will typically improve the scores obtained in a clinical lung function test. Respiratory muscle training was also shown to improve maximal fitness in healthy people by delaying fatigue of the respiratory muscles and also reducing sensations of breathlessness in respiratory patients. The bad. There are important caveats to these data that are lost in the noise of the marketing rhetoric. Breathing training such as that described above might improve exercise capacity in respiratory patients, not by improving their fitness per se, but by addressing their dysfunctional breathing and reducing breathlessness. This means that in healthy people with normal lung function, the potential benefits will be muted. The same can be said for respiratory muscle training devices. In someone with healthy baseline function, the benefits will be relatively limited. This is because in most cases, the healthy respiratory system is considered to be overbuilt for its demands. What's more, respiratory muscle training devices don't influence the airways or the lungs, but rather the respiratory muscles. This is an important distinction. There are no commercial interventions, exercises, devices or supplements that can increase your lung size. Lung size is determined by genetics, just like your height, eye color and shoe size. Accordingly, once you've reached physical maturity, usually by your early 20s, your stature and lung size are set. Be wary of any product claiming the contrary. The ugly. Throughout the commercial world, a void created by scientific naivete will be quickly filled by a health guru touting unproven remedies. Respiratory physiology is no different. The COVID-19 pandemic provided the perfect opportunity for snake oil salesmen to capitalize on widespread fear and confusion to sell breathing techniques, lung cleansing supplements, immune-boosting vaping devices, and respiratory muscle trainers, all on the premise that they'll protect you from the SARS-CoV-2 virus. They won't. Nor will respiratory training help to boost immunity, promote healing, detox the lungs, or cure disease. Even popular breathing techniques such as Buteyko conflate plausible and implausible claims. On the one hand, the conventional aspects of Buteyko deep breathing and breath hold, appear to improve quality of life and reduce the need for some medication in some people with asthma. On the other hand, Buteyko's promotion of mouth taping to force nasal breathing during sleep has been shown to have no effect on asthma control and the emphasis on Buteyko's long breath holds, more than 25 seconds, could be dangerous for people with respiratory disease. Even some of the founding principles of Buteyko have been disproven in empirical research. It's a wonderful example of how genuine benefits of a product or practice can be undermined by a dogmatic obsession with quack medicine and pseudoscience. Other commercial products such as nasal strips and oxygenated beverages 
claim to improve exercise outcomes but are either unproven or disproven. A review in the British Journal of Sports Medicine stated concisely that performance-enhancing claims for oxygenated water, quote, cannot be taken seriously, end quote. Canned oxygen, oxygen canisters designed to be inhaled before exercise, has no obvious or lasting effects on exercise capacity, and one manufacturer of a concentrated oxygen product even went so far as to publish an online press release that mimicked the appearance of a peer-reviewed scientific journal article, presumably in an effort to feign scientific legitimacy. The industry is indeed unscrupulous. So the take-home messages. Respiratory training can be hugely beneficial for certain groups, but it's a poorly understood area that's open to exploitation. Commercial respiratory products often claim immune-boosting or healing properties that aren't supported by the evidence. This can have profound repercussions on population health. In fact, real harm occurs whenever people falsely believe a product or practice will protect them from harm. That's why, in our modern society, characterised by commercialism, fake news and social media, it's never been more important to draw a clear distinction between science and pseudoscience. As we forge into 2022, the Skeptic's Guide to Sports Science column will continue to frame health and fitness through the critical lens of scientific scepticism, holding the industry to account for its unproven claims. Happy holidays, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this article, check out my book, The Skeptic's Guide to Sports Science, Confronting Myths of the Health and Fitness Industry, published by Taylor & Francis. For more information on this and my other work, visit www.nbtiller.com. 